You're listening to Classic Movies Live, a movie. Uh, whoops. You're listening to Classic Movies Live, the pre-recorded show where we try to predict classic movies as they're coming out. And today we're going to uh, take a little bit of a different role here. We're going to talk about something old. We're going to talk about a movie from 1941. We're going to talk about the Maltese Falcon, which is widely considered a classic, but we are unsure as to whether people considered it that, recognized it that as that at the time. So uh, I guess, I guess spoilers. Uh, this is a 79-year-old movie, so there, we don't say a spoiler warning because the movie's been out for a while. But uh, I mean, you can you can listen to us talk about it, and you'll still get a gr- good time out of the movie. We we both enjoyed it. We both recommend it. If you're worried about uh, not knowing what we're talking about when we go into it, go watch it, and we'll still be here when you get back. Here is a song from the Maltese Falcon. I think this is the theme song. I don't remember what it's called. Here it is. listening to classic movies live the pre-recorded show where when we're slapped we take it and we like it pierre what movie are we talking about today <laughs> we are talking about the maltese falcon the the some some defined as the first noir film and i am very interested in noir so yeah uh, this movie is uh this is actually the oldest movie we've ever talked about on any iteration of this podcast yeah, it's from 1941, right? Yeah, so that means, you know what? There's a, well, no, by the time people will hear this episode before this movie turns 70 years old, but like not very long before it Pretty turns 70 close. years old. Yeah, I, I believe like this, this is, might have been one of the first, or not one of the first, but I like, I'm pretty sure like talking movies came out like not too far ahead of this either. I want to say this is like just over 10 years after talking movies started coming out. I think it's 13 years after the first one and like probably about 10 years since they became common. Yeah. Well, when was the I remember for for old movies like The Great. Have you heard of The Great Dictator by Charlie Chaplin? Yeah, I remember hearing that was at least that that was a big shift in in the in the industry from what i can tell because obviously charlie chaplin was one of the most famous silent film uh actors slash uh directors i believe so like um that that was a the great dictator was his first talkie which was a very big deal at the time and it was one mm-hmm. of like it's still a very treasured movie i don't know when that came out though i i feel like it was around the same time 
That was because, during the war, which yeah. 1941 was also during the war. Yeah. So anyways, I, I guess around the time the Maltese Falcon came out was also when talking movies became more and more the standard. So mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Um, did, do, do, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about actually wait? No, no. Uh, <laughs> I do. I was going to say, let's tell us a little bit about the movie, but I, want, I do want to talk about the noir genre in general. Um, it was definitely one of the like uh, a really, a really big phenomenon in terms of especially like after World War Two. Um, it was very unique in that it, it kind of highlight. It was very much highlighting the the negative aspects of humanity and kind of, uh, I guess, it took a very cynical point of point of view on life where a lot of the characters will be um, very self-serving uh, lots of lying and deception um, and, and just tragic stories, I guess all around. Yeah. And I don't know how common this was at the time because I do think noir kind of sticks out with it is noir is typically a genre with no real good guys. Like even in the Maltese Falcon, as we're going to talk about, the the detective Sam Spade is kind of a piece of shit, even though he's technically the good guy. And you know, we're there's enough there that it's like, oh, altogether he is morally in the right, probably, but he kind of sucks. Yeah, you, even I guess despite him being the protagonist and being like maybe the nicest character, he's still kind of a dick and not not really invested a whole lot in the other characters if that makes sense and if he is yeah. it's usually for selfish reasons if that makes like the uh i guess his main motivation in this is trying to get the girl basically which kind is, of uh, except like, even then not quite because when he doesn't get the girl he's not broken up about it at all this is true yeah it was kind of like a a superficial romance if that makes sense so mm-hmm. and i i feel like at the time that was that was very rare in in terms of cinema to 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 show romance especially like i think women in that light it was very uh from what i can tell it was it was actually kind of um progressive in the terms of it it, it highlighted women as not just like uh an innocent bystander it, it brought it brought the I, I guess it's a common saying now but the the femme fatale, which is, uh, I guess, kind of a character that's that's actually seen a lot, even in like the present day. If you look at like the my first thought when I think as I think of superhero movies, uh, like Catwoman, for example, is mm-hmm. is definitely a a continuing of that of that of that type of character. But yeah, that all started with noir film or film noir, where uh, the femme fatale is kind of this this character that uses her her sexuality and her um and her weak her supposed weaknesses as a woman to her advantage if that makes sense to mm-hmm. manipulate uh, those around her and I, I think for the time that that was that's really cool to see in movies like that where you don't have just these damsels in distress uh all over the place yeah and it's more and it's and it's subversive for the time i mean you've already said this but it's subversive for the time because like the femme fatale especially in this movie but in a lot of other movies as well starts out as looking like a damsel in distress but isn't yeah exactly so it's it's, uh i I, it was probably very surprising for a lot of audiences at the time 
mm-hmm. in, in terms of how how much it pushed that line, I guess. So, yeah, and I I think it uh like film noir is obviously, I it's it's not as recognized right now, but it, it's still very like a lot of films have a ton of elements of film noir, even though they're not seen as film noir. So like like Blade Runner, uh, I've heard of like the 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 movie seven by david fincher is very much a noir film in a lot of ways uh drive is actually widely considered a neo-noir movie yeah so like tons of examples despite the fact that i think if you ask the regular a regular like moviegoer it'll probably they'll probably say noir was is just like a really old-fashioned genre but it's that's actually just just kind of changed around a bit and uh yeah, it's not basically I because when I thought about it, I used to just think noir is just like a black and white film that was and uh, it's it's so much more than that. So that's why I took a lot of interest in it. and I want to talk about it. And the Maltese Falcon is generally seen as the first noir film. So obviously it had a big effect on on the genre in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. So, yeah. Yeah. And I was uh, I'm I'm really glad to have watched this because up until now, like I'm sure I've seen a real serious noir movie but i cannot think of one up until i'd seen this because like i knew i know all the tropes of a noir movie you got your hard-boiled detective you got your femme fatale you got you know there's moral ambiguity everywhere and then sometimes there's a narrator who's just you know really uh, upset all the time but sort of like poetic i guess anyway i know all the tropes but like i know those because noir is such it's the 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 trappings of most of like classic film noir are so uh iconic that like i don't think there's a genre out there that's been more success more often successfully parodied than film noir like every film noir that i can think of that like has all of those is actually a parody of film noir like uh we got the spirit um dick tracy uh, the Happy Time Murders, all of those are, one, horrible examples, but all of those are like, <laughs> they're all parodies of film noir, and those are the first ones that came to mind, and I went, wait a minute, those aren't this at all. But like, all of those tropes are so distinctive that like, it's it's not often you find a genre where like, you can boil down the tropes to like, crystallize so, so perfectly one movie, I guess. Yeah, especially when like the type of movie it can be is is really vague. Like I mm-hmm. feel like when we talk about like a western or a superhero movie, it, it's like the setting and like the general like feel or like not feel but the setting and like maybe the characters are usually like we we have we have a general idea of that, right? Whereas like I didn't realize like I used to think of noir as just like, you know, like you'll maybe have like a a down on his luck detective story detective who, mm-hmm. who like is solving a crime against like the forces out of his control if that makes sense but uh a movie i watched recently called sunset sunset boulevard which is uh generally seen as like the best noir film ever made is 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 about a down on his luck writer who just uh kind of or gets into a bad relationship with an actress and uh, it doesn't go well for him, and that's like it's obviously it's completely different than than a detective story because there you know there's no mystery or anything, and um, 
that that is a noir film and i never would have thought that would be defined as one which hmm. is like oddly enough so yeah uh it's 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 really it's a really diverse and uh flexible genre in general if i can uh if i can just tack on one other example i recently watched a movie uh that i didn't watch it i didn't watch it enough i wanted to I should have watched it a second time, but I recently watched uh, one of Akira Kurosawa's earliest movies, Drunken Angel, which also can be classified as a noir film. I don't know that it typically would, but it has it like Wikipedia puts noir as the potential genres in it. And like, that's about a doctor and there's no detective at all. And like, there's barely a mystery. It's mostly just the doctor, like trying to get this one guy either out, out of the Yakuza before he, dies of tuberculosis and like it actually has a lot of those same tropes but there's no mystery at all and it actually it it has all of those same tropes but not like in the same way like you have the hard-boiled dude but he's a detective but he's not a detective you've kind of got your femme fatale except she's not super important it's more like the femme fatale the role of the femme fatale is split by other people anyway it's it's interesting. It's it's kind of it's kind of cool how like I know all of those like we know all those tropes and it's really easy to pinpoint what they are in certain movies. But then you look at other noir movies and like they're still kind of there, but they're barely recognizable on the surface, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I, I think that really helps with with how I, I guess it, it was a very long. It's, it's a very long lasting genre in general. So mm hmm. Uh, stuff like that really helped to be more sustaining, which I guess is kind of what superhero movies are doing now too, from what I can tell. So uh, just keep switching it up and stuff. So that really helps. Anyways, hmm. uh, the Maltese Falcon is basically the most stereotypical noir film uh, you can think of. Honestly, it's. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about the plot? Um. Okay. So. Oh, I closed the Wikipedia page, but that's okay because I watched the movie twice, so I remember the plot. Nice. Uh, so it's about uh, Sam Spade. Is he's the he's our detective, and he works with a guy named Miles Archer, who is really barely important at all. Well, that's not true. He's very important, but not in the way you'd expect. Anyway, Sam Spade. Like uh, one day, he gets a woman that comes into his office and like wants him to find this person who's i guess following her i think is what it is um it's like an ex-lover or something and she's done with them but she's scared she's she's worried that he's gonna come attack her or something and so he takes on the job and then over the next couple of days his partner miles archer dies and also the person that he's supposed to be tailing dies and so he questions this woman to see like what was she actually after? And it turns out that the person that had been following her, um, this is the tail end of a long plot to get a very valuable antique called the Maltese Falcon, which is a little black bird that is supposed to be like completely made of diamonds or completely made of some kind of jewels. And, uh, so she knows where the Maltese Falcon is. And this was the other guy that was supposed to get it. So she was working with him, but she either wanted to betray him or like it, 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 sound, it seems like she wanted to betray him. 
But then there's another, uh, and they were either working with or against. It's not 100% clear if in, in my mind anymore. This, uh, this one uh, older bureaucrat who's been trying to get his hands on the Maltese Falcon for his entire life. And uh, so just pretty much out of nowhere, uh, Sam Spade's mission turns from protect this woman to find the Maltese Falcon because he ends up having basically no choice. And that is essentially the that's that's the that's the synopsis of this movie. That's there's a lot that happens. Uh, Pierre, did I miss anything? Do I need to go into more details? No, it sounds pretty good to me, bro. The it, it's it's a it's it's an odd tale in that like it feels it feels I guess it I feel like a lot of stereotypes in in film were almost based off this movie because it feels like a movie I've definitely seen before, but I never have seen yeah. this movie before. So it, it was, it was pretty cool to see how, how, how like where a lot of these tropes came from. But um, even so, honestly, it feels like a pretty fresh movie despite yeah. I, I've seen movies before that are older that are, are really famous for like pushing like the, the, the art form forward. And this and and then I've watched it, and I was I I, I sometimes I'm like very disappointed because I'm like like the the people that have I guess taken inspiration from it have kind of done it to death if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. One off the top of my head is like Pulp Fiction, I, uh, which I've heard at the time was like amazing due to its nonlinear plot. But nonlinear plots is uh, is something we actually see quite frequently now uh, in in bigger movies. So. I, I wasn't as amazed done exactly like Pulp Fiction too. Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't as amazed at the time when I saw it, but Maltese Falcon, honestly, like there, there are obviously there are parts that don't hold up as well. Like I, I feel like some of the, the, the gender, the gender, uh, the gender roles feel like obviously very dated, but I mean, that's, that's just like part of the time. Um, but uh, like it has, it has really s- smart dialogue for and like witty, interesting characters all around. Mm-hmm. And even though I'd say I think the mystery itself isn't actually that interesting, in my opinion, um, it makes up for it with like, yeah, all, all the all the crazy banter, the the interesting, like you're not really sure who's playing on which team and uh yeah and honestly it's a really quickly fast-paced film too i was really surprised yeah. uh because in in general from what i could tell usually older movies i watched drag on really hard and this was mm. act this was like a really each scene led into the other really quickly i wasted no time in, in getting to the finale and i was really impressed by that yeah it covers a lot of ground in an hour and 40 minutes it's pre- it's not well, I, I don't want to say it's really short, but it's not that long either. Yeah, and the especially like with all the characters coming into it, I, I don't feel like any of the characters weren't given enough time or anything. That might have been because the like they're the characters. We don't really need to know who the characters are. We just know we just need to know who they are so that the plot can move forward. If that makes sense. Well, I really think that every single one of these characters has just a fantastic opening, like. 
within the, the first couple of minutes of seeing that character, you know exactly who they are. So anything they do after that doesn't have to build on their character. And like, if it does, which it typically does, like it's, you know, you're, you're not lost as to who anyone is. Yeah, exactly. It's, I love the way they, they, uh, I, I think maybe not through action, but a lot of the characters are, are just basically just set up through how they speak and speak, how um, they walk, how yeah. they do anything. Yeah, because they, they, they really don't give a lot of I, I think a, an important aspect of this is they don't they don't really give a, a background to like basically any of the characters, honestly, because um, I, I guess for the, the plot to maintain how quick it was, the they just completely avoided that. And I, I, I don't really think it was important to the story anyways to know like what exactly like, for example, the rich, I want to say English businessman. I, I can't remember his name, but like he's he's I, essentially sort of the villain. Yeah. Well, and I mean, he, uh, he is the villain. He is the villain. And but he like I I don't remember if he said too much about who he is and what he does, but everything I needed to know about him is done like through the way he talks, which is like he's he's a very posh. He talks very poshly. He's he has a very intricate way of speaking like a lot of the words he was saying were like it was like he was speaking poetry if that makes sense or at least oh attempting. man and he has my favorite quote in the entire movie too <laughs> what is uh, it you are like a son to me but when you lose a son you can get another there is only one maltese <laughs> falcon <laughs> yeah it's stuff like that like, i just i love and he when he says that line too it's it's done in like such a like what he if, if like the way he says it, it's like I almost agree with him. You're like it's like honestly, you're totally right. <laughs> like <laughs> because he says it in such a polite way too. Because it's just it's not personal. It's just business, right? It's just he he has his objective and he wants to get it. And um, despite his love for that character, I guess it's not it's not going to stop him. So and and the way I love how he uh he keeps he keeps to saying the main characters such a character he says those exact words like you are such a character over and over again and it's it's annoying but also so funny to hear i guess i don't know mm -hmm. and uh yeah and like honestly like the instant he's on screen everything about him like is, is crystal clear and i know exactly like why he wants the falcon is that he's a rich guy and he wants more money basically he's yeah, just that he's kind a of rich guy. guy who wants a cool thing yeah and that's that that's a lot of uh i guess a lot of the characters in this were motivated by sort of a similar aspect of they're just trying to get ahead in the world right so yeah which which easily makes every character relatable um it didn't it didn't pretend to like drown it at any sappy like relationshipy stuff um I mean, that stuff is kind of there, but it's almost it almost feels like it's making fun of it by how unimportant it is. Yeah, I was going to say it. All, all those scenes are kind of over. It's like they're overacted. That actress was amazing. She she mm -hmm. was really good. And uh, you, you never really know when she's telling the truth or not, even as like the audience member. But she 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 did a great job of it. And um. I I guess I like I don't know if I don't know if like they were intentionally trying to make 
like trying to parody like overly romantic scenes in movies but like every scene to me was was kind of comedic honestly in like a an eye rolly way and you could tell that like that was part of why the the main character the detective ends up getting out of it in the end there's a lot of tension in that in that we we are we're kind of concerned whether he's gonna believe her or not basically Mm -hmm. and uh and that also keeps you on your toes too i i can't even remember if what happens to her uh she gets taken away by the police i guess that's a spoiler but you've had 70 years guys yeah (laughs) come on (laughs) so uh, like that that was like a really i think that was a really cool way of keeping i guess like are adding a different take to like over to romance you know and i think that's what made the character very unique is that i feel like i've seen the scene so many times where the main character especially in modern movies i feel like the main character always falls for for the femme fatale's antics right Mm -hmm. and in some way or another but i after the movie ended and i looked back on it i realized he never really was in danger of getting seduced by her it just felt like it the whole time because that's what i'm used to seeing Hmm. and i'm thinking like it's not i don't know i'm pretty sure it's pretty common for the femme fatale to get punished in some way like i don't know karmically or otherwise by the plot but it's a little i think it's a little rarer or at the very least i didn't expect to see the femme fatale get like sold out by the protagonist yeah, like she's she's actually the only one that act, like truly gets punished for what happened for their actions in the movie, right? I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. So well, oh. everyone else technically does, but it's off screen, so like it barely. Oh, they, you don't they actually see later, it. Right? Yeah, that's yeah. true. But yeah, usually the main character like does have feelings for the femme fatale, and they kind of like let him go, or or they'll like they'll run away with them, right? Like. What one I can think of is like, uh, actually, no, Blade Runner is not really like that. I'm trying to think. Maybe, maybe Batman. Batman's a good example again. They, he always kind of falls in love with Catwoman either way, mm. and he never turns her in despite she's, she's not exactly the greatest person, if that makes sense. So, well, that was cool. I like that. Yeah. And, um, who else was great? I love the, the English guy's assistant. Which what one? Joel Cairo? The, I mean, both of them. <laughs> there was the one guy. I think Cairo is the one that. There's a scene where he he tries he pulls a gun on the detective in his own office, and um, the detective because, disarms him, knocks him out, and then gives him his gun back eventually, and then he pulls the gun on him again. <laughs> yeah, just because he wants to search the office, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that character so much too. It's just kind of the way like he's like a weasel, right? And he just uh. He just kind of he'll he'll kill uh I don't want to say he he he's also just in it to get what he wants, right? But he's like kind of uh I don't know, he I don't wanna he say felt, he, he feels chaotic. Yeah, I was gonna say like he feels like probably he's not that bad a guy, but he happens to have chosen a line of work that like where one he has to be, and he is, he will be like he's 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 not a good guy, but like he would be much better suited to being a good guy because he's a clumsy oaf. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I love his his kind of never-ending attempt at outwitting the detective, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I guess that's because every character. 
Yeah. Yeah, except that he's well, no, he's the second worst at it behind Wilmer. Yeah, dude, <laughs> Wilmer was. I didn't even. He doesn't even have much screen time or stuff to say, right? But he just. He was a hilarious character because just nothing ever goes right for that guy. And everyone sells him out completely. It was terrible. Yeah, poor dude. He gets this close to crying early, early into the movie. Not early, late into the movie, too. Because, like, um, yeah, he's the guy that, he's, he's the guy that uh, Gutman, that's um, the, the main bad guy, describes as his son and then tells him exactly why that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah i don't know I, I was really surprised when because that that all that felt kind of out of character for the entire film where one one of the characters is showing any sort of legit emotion to another right mm -hmm. and then it's just like in two minutes he's like you know what i don't really i don't really care for you anymore and that was like, like I, well honestly Wil wilmer's the only character that basically had any any sort of real loyalty and he gets utterly punished for it yeah so that that was a that was a shame also, also i loved the i oh, know go ahead oh i was gonna say wilmer is also uh when he's very early on uh shortly after he's introduced he uh takes sam spade aside and like escorts him to uh casper gutman's hotel room uh, and he and while he does that, he uh, he is clearly like got his hands on two guns and um, Sam Spade immediately disarms him, like just by like pulling his coat down a bit to trap him and then takes out his guns, which is brilliant, first of all. But yeah. also, I just wanted to point out that the the poster for this movie has Sam Spade on it, Humphrey, Bro Humphrey Bogart holding two guns. And the tagline says a story as explosive as his blazing automatics, which is funny because, first of all, they weren't automatic pistols. Not a single pistol in this movie is automatic, if I'm remembering correctly. And uh, beyond that, he doesn't have guns like he wields them because he's disarmed a few people, but he never shoots a gun. And he specifically says very early on into the movie, I don't like guns, so I don't have any. So I think it's really <laughs> weird that that's on the poster. Yeah, I don't know why they decided to use that to sell the <laughs> sell this movie. Uh, it was a different time, I guess. I guess so. We'll never know. Um, what else was there? I I, I kind of liked how I did like the main character a lot. I think he was probably the least interesting character, but he I I was kind of always on on his side in that he he seemed like he was the only character that actually knew what he was doing, right? Even though he was kind of a he was he was kind of a dick surprisingly so in that um like there's that scene like where, when his partner dies he just he just doesn't care at all at the start and that was like pretty eye-opening to me because you know i i feel like if you had a partner that, that i think they had been working together for a while there'd be a it, it would have been a little more of an emotional scene especially in a normal movie right but he kind of well, he kind of sees the body and he's like uh that's a shame that's that's the job yeah. Um, okay. So you say that. And I actually think that, I mean, on watching this movie the second time, I thought Sam Spade was maybe the most interesting character in this movie. And like, actually, for the same reasons you're saying, kind of. Uh, because like, when his partner dies, he does not care. Except that's not really true. 
he puts on the face of not caring because the moment his partner dies is when his personal like actual investment in this case starts before that he had been like him and his partner had been um they were supposed to just tail this guy named thursby and um they'd been given money to do that and whatever but then as soon as his partner dies like then his personal mission becomes to figure out who killed his partner, which like he doesn't let on and he doesn't even mention until the end of the movie. But that's what leads to the rest of the movie is he only cares about any of the Maltese Falcon, uh, any of the stuff related to the Maltese Falcon because of, um, because he's trying to figure out who killed his partner. And I thought that was kind of an interesting twist on it. Did did they, Okay, I I just kind of assumed he was he didn't care because he was he was didn't he want to bang the his partner's oh, yeah. wife or they were already... he didn't <laughs> he didn't like his partner very much and he was having an affair with his partner's wife. Okay, so like okay, cool. His emotional attachment to his partner was not there really. However, that is still to him that is still his personal motivation for following any of the mm. plot of this movie. I guess technically, I do remember that. I don't. Sorry, I, I can't remember if you mentioned this, but there, there was that. He says it was like against. He may not have liked his partner, but it's just like what a man's got to do. If that makes sense, uh, like, like, uh, when when your partner dies, like you got to back him up no matter what. And so, to me, that that told me that like Sam Spade has a probably unconventional but very strong moral compass, like. I mean, very you know, unconventional, but yeah, yeah I, I say I say <laughs> unconventional because like he wasn't interested in helping out the people that were in trouble. If anyone in his situation was in trouble, he was just like he had a thing that he wanted to do and he wanted to make sure that not only did that get done, but everyone who was on the wrong side of it got punished. Well, yeah, I, I, oddly enough, he's he's a man of honor, despite the fact that he really doesn't have any honor was <laughs> like like again he's trying to bang his his partner's wife and he he's kind of a dick to random characters throughout the movie even if they are bad guys so you know it it was a uh, i guess i guess now that you're talking about it more like i can totally see he he's he's a much he's a much deeper character than any of them even though his his motives aren't exactly clear but i think that kind of adds or not clear they are clear but his how good of a character he is is like very subjective if that makes sense so mm-hmm. um i i appreciate i do appreciate that a lot more now that that i've watched it or now that you talk about it so thank you for that you're welcome actually that gave me a very good idea that i will bring up much later in this podcast um so like Oh gosh, what else do we want to say about this? I think that like, I think this movie, I do wish personally going into this movie that I had a little more context for what the, uh, for what Hollywood was like at the time, because Mm -hmm. I think this movie is groundbreaking in a lot of ways. I'm just kind of worried that if I bring up some of those ways, which I'm going to do anyway, it's going to be like, well, actually this was like how Hollywood was at the time instead of you know, being new because like the thing that stood out to me, and this is what, I mean, that's why I prefaced that with this. Uh, The thing that stood out to me is um, I really 
liked just sort of uh, building off of what I just said. Okay, this is way too much preface. Uh, I really <laughs> liked the uh, I really liked the the approach of this movie to moral ambiguity because in in those older movies, like around this time in Hollywood and going forward, I definitely you know see plenty of morally ambiguous characters and a lot of like different approaches to moral ambiguity, but like. This one, ha this movie, The Maltese Falcon, had sort of had an interesting approach to it that I don't know if it was necessarily that novel. But on the other hand, I don't know how many morally ambiguous characters there were in Hollywood at the time anyway, because, I mean, it's technically later stuff, but I'm used to think like when I look at think of older movies like that, I'm used to things like Robin Hood and um, I don't know, Casablanca, I guess, just things where it's where you've got very clear good guys, bad guys, big romances, stuff like that. And this is quite different. Yeah. Well, I, I think cause it honestly feels very fresh with that, even though like, I, I feel like there's a lot of movies now that do feature pretty gray characters in general. Right. Mm -hmm. But the type of movie, this is, I, I feel like, uh, like we, a lot of the time we see more morally gray characters and like, I guess more artsy movies, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, this on Maltese Falcon to me though feels like very much kind of like the action movie of its time, I guess, if that makes sense. It's a very like it's a pretty straightforward plot, honestly. Um, and like it, it it's not it's not very complicated. It's it's not very complicated at all. Um, and you have like fun cart honestly kind of cartoony esque characters. So like I, I to me it was kind of refreshing to see like the this type of morally moral ambiguity and to me what felt like a more it, honestly like a blockbuster film it felt like it was made to be a blockbuster well i think even before th yeah those existed and i think also um to me why I find it interesting is like a lot of times when you see moral, when you see morally gray characters, it'll be like, I guess to use the example of the other movie that I watched, um, drunken angel, the more, the main moral ambiguity there comes from the fact that like the main character is a huge asshole and the other main character is in the Yakuza, but doesn't want to be. So he's like, he's a good person. They're both good people. Or like one of them is a good person who's being forced to do bad things. And the other one is a bad person who is ultimately in a good person's profession. Yeah. And so like that's a type of moral gray. And then like you have a lot of that. Like even in Drive, the dude is ultimately a good guy, but he's, you know, in an, he's literally just helping criminals. That's his entire job. Where in this, like, the moral ambiguity doesn't really come from him being a bad person or a good person in the opposite role or being forced to do bad things. Like, those are there, too. But I find that the source of the moral ambiguity in this is really that, like, there's two teams here trying to get the Maltese Falcon. And secretly, out of nowhere, he's on the third. Like, he's sort of in between everyone. And that's where the moral amb ambiguity comes from here. Because you don't actually have any good guys in this. And, like, it's a little disingenuous to call one team the bad guys. So, really, you just have, like, a bunch of different sides, none of which is good, and he happens to also be on a not-good side. Yeah, it's almost uh, not coincidental, but it's just, it's just the way life works, I guess. Yeah, and I think that, well, I think that 
it makes for what I thought was a really satisfying twist at the end, even though it was, it wasn't really a twist. It's just like, oh, this is why I did everything I did. And it's like, oh, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, I get that. I, I did, um, I did feel a little disappointed in the climax. I think, I don't know what I expected, but I, I feel like there was a lot more, uh, like, I, I feel like they built it up more than was necessary for that ending, if that makes sense. I was like, I was expecting it like some crazy shit to happen. It but wrapped the, the, everything up very, re like, it wrapped everything up very, uh, very nicely and very quickly though right yeah like the it, it's it's almost like kind of it, it almost kind of comes out of nowhere if that makes sense the whole uh the whole conclusion because because like i, I like you, you at first you're thinking the climax is when the the maltese falcon like kind of comes out right and they're like uh like we finally got it or whatever but the climax is really when it feels like it feels like the the ending of the movie, which is supposed to feel like the the craziest, was actually like right after the climax. I don't know how to say it. Like it was like a fake climax, if I'm almost where where in the end, like the detective uh, solves it basically off screen. I want to say where because like the main characters are or the the main villains technically are arrested, and we don't even see that, right? Yeah, so, and also it seemed a little unclear at the end why he all of a sudden knew that uh, the femme fatale was the person that had killed his partner. I don't know if it was unclear, but I definitely didn't understand how he knew that other than accusing her. And she went, Oh yes, I did it. <laughs> yeah. Basically it was like, there wasn't much to be really confused about. So I don't know. It, I guess nowadays when i watch a movie like that i guess that's why i'm also kind of feels like a blockbuster it was extremely an extremely closed ending there wasn't really much to think over once it was done um because everything is just kind of there and everything's resolved there's no there's no missing there's no missing trails tales or anything like that so uh, yeah a little disappointing but i mean like uh in general it was a really fun movie to watch yeah i mean i think Normally, we would end these by rating the movie in, on a scale of 10, and we can still do that. But I kind of think like that's this movie is widely considered one of the greatest of all time. And like, I don't know that I necessarily agree, but I also think that because of that, there's kind of no point to put a number on it. I don't know what you think. Uh, I'll give it like an eight. Um, I, I still think it was good. Like, like, I'll probably still put an eight on it. Yeah. I think I'm like. I might be overhyping it just because of how like how old it is. But honestly, it's extremely impressive that a movie which is now 79 years old, I guess. Right. 1941. Uh, oh, no. no 79, 59, years. 69, yeah. 79, yeah. Right. 79 yeah, years old. Years. Honestly, was extremely enjoyable to watch now, mm -hmm. despite despite all its limitations. It had a uh, like noir movies are uh relatively usually known to have like a low budget and stuff so this was a low budgeted film um so like even for the time it was kind of an underdog but like it it holds up remarkably well it's actually insane so can i say uh this movie, movie was nominated for academy awards when it came out but i gotta be honest i don't understand why it was nominated for 
why it wasn't nominated for some of the ones it wasn't nominated for. Because it was nominated mm-hmm. for Best Picture, which okay. I don't know what else came out that year. It didn't win, but like, absolutely, sure. Yeah. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay as well. Again, yes, please. And then Sidney Greenstreet, the bad guy, was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, which like, I think that's a little weird, but he was very good. I mean, we spent the first like five minutes talking about how good he was. Yeah. Um, but like no Humphrey Bogart for uh, best lead actor, no Mary Astor for best lead actress. We never got Joel That's Cairo weird. getting uh, recognized for anything. Yeah. That's that's messed up. I like. Oh, uh, those okay. are great performances. All of them. So uh, th- that's what else got nominated this year. It also didn't win. But uh, best picture this year also contained Citizen Kane. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> that is crazy competition. Holy shit. And I the thing is, Citizen Kane didn't win. Wait, really? Yeah, Citizen Kane got snubbed. I don't think it won anything. Wow, that's... um. No, it did. It, did. it won Best Original Screenplay. Oh. Yeah. It was, I it. thought it was based off a book. Nope. Oh, no, Orson Welles. Uh, it's, it's very loosely based on uh, a guy. But we're going to talk about Citizen Kane at some point here, so... Yeah, we'll get to that. I'm excited. So yeah, I guess um, that like, shows you that awards honestly don't always mean that they're going to be the most recognized movies in the end. Well, that's uh, I mean, I guess this is getting a little meta, but like it's hard to know in the year. Like it's hard to know when things come out whether or not they're going to be classics, uh, which is why our show exists. Yeah, exactly. There but, you go. Um, yeah, because like I remember a couple of years ago. I mean. Okay, so here's what won the here's what won best best outstanding motion picture at the Academy Awards that year. Um, How green was my valley? How green was my valley might be an incredible movie. I've never seen it, but like yeah. I've also never heard of it. Um, I assume it's great, but like also this year we had Citizen Kane and the Maltese Falcon that got snubbed and yet are enduring classics you know, more so than how green was my valley. And I feel like I'm unfairly ragging on how green was my valley here. But again, I have never heard of this movie. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't know. Again, like, it's hard to say why exactly. But I mean, uh, I I feel like for movies, like for classic movies, they like uh, the Maltese Falcon might not have won, but I feel like, like it might be because of how like odd it was at the time, right? And it might have really pushed the genre forward. So it was like recognized for that. But at the time, it couldn't have been appreciated because of how much new it brought to the table. Right. Right. um, And I I feel like that's pretty common for for movies that we that we see now that like maybe not now, but like like frequently, like a lot of them aren't really a lot of the best known ones aren't always that award successful from what I can tell. I I know personally, a lot of the the movies that have won like best picture in recent years, I, I didn't even really care for that much in terms of like, like they were good movies, but they didn't really bring anything completely new, if that makes sense. Yeah. And well, like, um, I don't think, I don't think I'm saying anything too controversial. If I say that the first Avengers movie was probably the most influential movie of 2012. And like, it of course it didn't get any awards recognition like it's not 
good in the ways that the Academy looks for movies to be good. And yet the entire landscape of Hollywood as it exists right now exists because of the Avengers in 2012. Yeah, exactly. And honestly, like the Avengers will like wasn't like the Academy hates superhero movies so much, right? Yeah, so and that, like I think it just shows. Well, and I mean, like I said, the Avengers is not good in the same way as, um, I guess the Maltese Falcon is good, but the Maltese Falcon might not be good in the same way that How Green Is My Valley is good. And so, what the Academy is looking for, like the Academy is the king, are the kingmakers, I guess, because they, you know, give the awards, but ultimately the actual authorities on movies on, on what becomes, you know, what are good movies aren't always right. Yeah. Or like, aren't always, they miss some at least. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's understandable. It's, it's hard. It's like, give me a book that came out in 2020. That is also, you, you know, that's, that's widely considered a classic in 2050. I don't, yeah, I don't know if anyone could <laughs> right <don't>. now. <laughs> yeah. Especially because I don't really read that many fiction. Yeah, books that's that's that a horrible out. question to ask one of us. But still, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I get what you mean perfectly. So originally, so the reason that we originally decided to watch this movie for this show was because in a couple of episodes we're going to talk about Mank, which is about the screenwriter for uh, Citizen Kane. But that movie is not yet out, and uh, before that movie comes out, we're going to watch Citizen Kane as well. However, uh, we do have one empty episode because um, we do have one empty episode between now and then. And I think that like we just watched a film noir movie and I thought that the I think that the, the thing that fascinated me most about this movie was like its approach to moral ambiguity and also, you know, how it just created so many of the tropes of its own genre. I think I could be wrong. So there's another movie that is good for similar reasons, I think. I haven't seen it yet, so um, I guess that's fair warning. But uh, what would you think about watching the 1961 Akira Kurosawa samurai film Yojimbo? I would love that because <laughs> I've heard so much about Kurosawa. Um, very well known for, I guess bringing in the foundations or aspiring heavily uh, Star Wars and many and many other uh, big movies. So um, not to mention that I don't think I do this on the episodes, but in between episodes, like when we're just talking, I bring up Kurosawa almost literally every time. This is true. Yeah. Have you seen a lot of his movies before? I have not. I just keep looking for excuses to watch more of his movies. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. So, yeah, no, but I, what's really interesting, uh, what's really interesting about this is this Yojimbo is not only important for the samurai film genre, it's also incredibly important for the spaghetti western genre. So Ooh, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that'd be cool. So, so Pierre, what's the last word? Oh, uh, Maltese Falcon.